Good morning, I'm Felicia King and you're listening to Breakfast Bites. Today's show is going to be about security and privacy issues as well as some cybersecurity issues and a pretty interesting thing about some endpoint protection differences as well as things like business email compromise. So let's get started. First off, I want to start with this topic of facial recognition databases, facial recognition searches, and how that is being used by the surveillance state. And uh, the surveillance state is obviously uh, video cameras, whether they be on uh, police cars, street lamps, etc you know whether they be owned by the government or whether they be uh, video feeds that are provided to them by private businesses because oftentimes you'll find where a law enforcement agency wants to have access to private cameras in real time and some organizations give them that access and by the way if they decide to not give them access then uh, I don't think that that's a matter of, quote, not cooperating with law enforcement. There is very significant expense associated with granting an external party access into a surveillance system, not only from a real increased cost of a monthly basis where you have to have the kind of bandwidth in order to make that work, but then you have other compliance issues, other security issues, higher maintenance costs, higher support costs. So I think there's a great deal of legitimate reasons why an organization may not want to provide law enforcement real-time, on-demand access to surveillance. I have no doubt that if law enforcement showed up with a warrant and talked or even without a warrant most likely and talked to a business owner and said hey we are investigating uh, an issue that occurred at this date and time do you have any video that you could give to us that would be of value okay most people would be more than happy to cooperate and facilitate that so i just wanted to say that because i want you to understand that uh, if there's a business owner who does not want to go to all of the massive expense of providing law enforcement real-time access into their video cameras, uh, there is nothing wrong with that whatsoever, nor are they legally obligated to do so. All right, so uh, back to this facial recognition item. Of course, the intent as well as the execution in many many places already in most large cities you will find surveillance cameras in a ubiquitous nature they just seem to be everywhere and in a lot of ways it's um, i think it's difficult to balance having surveillance for the purposes of preventative and effective uh, so preventative, meaning the bad guys believe that they're being watched, so therefore now surveillance is a deterrent. And that does have some efficacy. Obviously, it does. But in other cases, they just don't care because they're running around with masks on their faces. And this whole mask on their face thing is one of the reasons why uh, facial recognition has been uh, 
pent up in demand. There's also other reasons for facial recognition uh, desires because there's a lot of artificial intelligence software that's now available with a lot of computing power, processing power on the back end that can literally take these images in real time and upload them. I mean, just it might as well effectively be real time because the process works so fast that the idea is running facial recognition constantly all the time on all of these cameras is supposed to sweep up the presence of persons of interest, right? Uh, these may not be people who've actually been convicted of any crime. And in fact, they may simply be people who the facial recognition software thinks look close enough to how a person of interest looks. Now, there are some law enforcement agencies that are doing a balanced behavior about these things. And what I mean by that is that they don't rely upon the artificial intelligence to make a final decision. So what they're doing is using artificial intelligence to bring things to a real officer's attention where that real officer is going to do the final assessment themselves about, all right, here's our image that we have, or maybe it's a sketch of a person of interest. And then these are the three people that the facial recognition software is uh, telling me are, are highly probable matches. And in fact, some of the facial recognition software has gotten to be a little better over the years too, where it's no longer even providing a statistical match evaluation because what some ethical law enforcement officers decided was that they really wanted was that human law enforcement officer to be making that decision. They did not want that decision to be distorted or influenced in any way because of some assessment by the software. So as I said, there are some law enforcement agencies that are uh, doing a good job with this and like any sort of a surveillance system, you can presume that there are some uh, abuses going on with it as well. Uh, there are other circumstances I've read where some law enforcement agencies are really doing a very fantastic job with their surveillance where they're able to utilize a pe people tracking software to be able to better know where a person of interest has gone and they can, uh, they're making a higher arrest. So, I mean, none of this technology is bad uh, straight across the board. It's like uh, the same thing as saying all guns are bad. That is clearly not the case. You know, you can't just make some sort of a naive assessment and suggest that a, uh, an inanimate object is just inherently bad. Okay, so my concern, as well as many privacy advocates uh, there and constitutional rights advocates, 
their concern is when there is unchecked, unfettered access to all of the surveillance data and ubiquitous use of license plate recognition software and non-standardized collating of data. So what we see happening right now in the law enforcement arena across the board at uh, federal, state, local, customs and border patrol, etc., is this desire to try to get more data. So what they want and what they are doing is, for example, the FBI is talking to state and saying, we want your entire state DMV database. And they're taking the entire state DMV database with the intent of using the photographs of everyone that has a driver's license. So they're loading that into the database. So here's where the problem is coming from is just sweeping up all of this information without an actual search warrant. That's where the issue comes from. It's the same as the issues of now when you simply present yourself on a public street, whether it be in your vehicle or you are walking on the sidewalk, the presumption is that you no longer have any Fourth Amendment rights to not be surveilled constantly. So unfortunately, this is where we're at because people are not um, fighting back against this. And I think that it's, it's dangerous. And part of the reason that it's dangerous is because there are not universally good systems and checks and balances that have been put in place across the board. So where you may see one law enforcement agency is doing a good job of how they are utilizing the data, another agency may not be. There may not be good checks and balances. There may not even be good security around the system. I mean, we talked about, I believe it was last month's show, where the entire Customs and Border Patrol license plate recognition database was hacked and stolen. Now, it wasn't hacked and stolen from CBP, it was actually hacked and stolen from a vendor who provides support to CBP, which that brings up a whole nother interesting point. One of the things that happened in the last month was a uh, some very, very, very high profile, significant managed service provider hacks. So the MSP hacks, you know, I, the thing, it, this is very going to be very obvious to you when I tell you. So if you're a hacker and you want to hack a whole lot of stuff, you go after the high-value targets. This is why they want to go after executives. They want to go after CFOs. They look for who's got an, a title of accountant or bookkeeper at various organizations. And then they try to do spear phishing and business email compromise and all kinds of ways to try to hack these individuals. 
So anyone that they think is a high value target and high value targets are typically defined as either somebody who's going to get them access to other things um, or uh, somebody who has access to the money. So in some way, they're high value targets or, you know, in the case of like healthcare records, let's say they want to try and hack a nurse. If they manage to hack the nurse, then a nurse would have access to healthcare records and healthcare records are extremely valuable on the black market dark web. So the hackers have been for a very, very long time directing their targeted attacks against IT people. And it's broadened now to really be aggressively targeting managed services providers and IT consulting firms. The problem comes when, when these firms are not being run by high quality security engineers, which the vast majority of consulting firms are not being managed and owned and operated by high quality security engineers. And in many cases, they're just salespeople or they're franchise owners. And so uh, I've seen the majority of, not all obviously, but the majority of IT consulting firms do not have adequate security. So you look at the systems that they're utilizing and they might be using something like IT Glue or uh, a, an MSP platform like a, uh, a remote monitoring and management platform or uh, what's called a PSA, a professional services administration tool. Uh, most of these tools have no GI, in fact, I don't think any of them have GOIP blocking when they are cloud hosted. They don't have network access security controls sitting in front of them. And in a lot of cases, they also don't even have multi-factor authentication. So now it's just some username and password that the bad guys got to get in order to get access to that. Now, if they compromise just one IT person, that could potentially give them the ability to install ransomware on thousands and thousands of endpoints, which is actually exactly what happened. So you've got managed service providers out there that don't have adequate security. And because they don't have adequate security, then all of their customers end up getting hacked. Uh, Microsoft right now has been putting in a big initiative to force all Microsoft partners to utilize multi-factor authentication on their tenants. And the reason that they're doing this is because a high-profile Microsoft partner got hacked because they had inadequate security, and then that led to the hack of more than 100 customers. And, you know, and then how many employees at each customer and how much financial damage to more than 100 companies. You know, I mean, so it really is just it's an exponential problem. And this is all happening simply because there's inadequate security. So I go back to, you know, in the case of CBP and their LPR database, their license plate recognition database, it wasn't an issue where they got hacked. It was one of their vendors that got hacked. So this is part of the problem. If they're going to dragnet and just surveil everything all the time and then run facial recognition and license plate recognition, where are definitions around, you know, where are we protecting the compromise of that data? So part of one of the ways that you protect the compromise of that data is you have extremely rigid security access control rules around how that data is stored, how it is handled, who is going to have access to it, what levels of authentication they're going to have, 
um, IP access control rules, network layer security rules, and retention. Retention restrictions is enormous of a factor associated with this data. But more often than not, you're going to find, if you dig into this topic, that there are no retention requirements defined, and the desire is to retain everything forever. I mean, the NSA is certainly taking that approach. They just keep adding more and more and more petabytes of storage so that they can record every single phone call, record every single text message, email, web browsing history, uh, you name it. Because in the, in the event that they have a concern, they basically want to be able to go back and reconstruct your entire existence, your entire digital existence forever, and then find out who you've ever had contact with and dragnet everything. So, you know, they've, they've got this approach of just store everything forever. And the more you store everything forever, the more expense there is associated with it, the more risk there is, the more security problems you have. So there are some major problems with regards to all of this ubiquitous surveillance that's going on. And I just wanted to make you guys aware of it so that, you know, you could be more informed about the topic. What is there to do about it? I'm not really sure there's a whole heck of a lot you can do about it other than be more informed and make a conscious decision that says, well, you know, maybe I don't want to go there because maybe they've got, you know, cameras up the yin yang and I just don't want to be recorded. But realize that uh, your behavior as to where you park, where you go, what your routes are, all of this is being tracked constantly. And nobody's got a warrant for that data. So your cell phone positioning is being tracked. Your car's parked here at this time, this day, that's being tracked. And I say it's being tracked because there's been ubiquitous articles on this topic demonstrating all the facts where that's actually what's happening. Most, the vast majority of law enforcement cars now have cameras that have real-time LPR recording and alerting data. Now, and this originated from a, a fairly valid you know, need, which was for an automated system for an officer to be being very productive while they're driving around if the if their LPR system picks up on a wanted license plate, maybe it's a stolen car, whatever it is, that that system was to bring that issue to their attention for further action. And that's a very good use of that technology. The uh, problem, of course, comes into when this is all just dragnetted all the time and then retained. And then it's utilized for things that are inconsistent with what the original intent was. You know, the original intent was to be able to make it so that officers would have another layer of intelligence there where they would be alerted by a system that would tell them, hey, there is a car that's of interest and check it out. 
that's a very good use of that technology. On the other hand, it is not a good use of the technology to just retain all that data and combine it with GPS data and then to create profiles of who is where at what time and your patterns and so forth. Uh, would people actually want to know that if every Thursday at 5 p.m. they are parked in front of a particular location, that that data is out there and not being used against them in some way? Uh, at some point in time, maybe that data will be used to construct an argument that says, well, you're not going to have this service or you're going to be denied this, that, or the other thing because we think the fact that you're parked there at that time every week is problematic for whatever reason. And that's where, again, the uh, this data, the fact that there are not definitions for, there are not legal, federal and state definitions that say we will only retain the data for this purpose and we will only retain this data for this time period. Because those definitions aren't in place, these opportunities for abuse of that data exist. So I'm going to move on to uh, Windows Defender. Apparently there's some folks out there that seem to think that Windows Defender, the uh, built-in and I'm going to air quote security protection because it really doesn't do anything unless you turn on paid subscription capabilities with Microsoft. So the free Windows Defender does nothing. If you want to utilize Windows Defender as a viable endpoint protection product, then you have to pay a virtually the same amount of money as every other solution out there on the market. And I just, I find it to actually be not the best product out there. It's not as effective and it ends up being, it has a higher total cost of ownership to manage. So don't get sucked into the idea of thinking that a free endpoint protection product has any usefulness or efficacy because they generally don't. And recently there was an article that talked about how 250 million 250 million computers uh, got a Trojan on them uh, called TrickBot, and it basically just disabled Windows Defender and then was able to uh, do ransomware and stole credentials and it installed malware. It stole online banking credentials. It stole contents of cryptocurrency wallets, etc. It was really ex extensive, the, uh, the damage that was done here. Well, this is all because of the fact that Windows Defender Free Edition is not intended to be a secure quality endpoint protection product. It is intended to be something that's better than nothing. So that was the whole point of that particular article. I thought it was rather interesting. Now this, uh, let's move on to the uh, next topic of, there's a company out there called Armis that is, uh, they're basically a security firm and they do a really, really good job. I've been very impressed with their work. They recently found that there were 11 security vulnerabilities in a um, operating system called Wind River. You've probably never heard of Wind River. And it is an operating system that can run and does run on a lot of 
appliances. It could be an industrial controller. It could be something like a sonic wall firewall. It could be a printer. So the Wind River operating system is in heavy use on lots and lots and lots of appliances out there. And apparently it has 11 serious security vulnerabilities. And this Armis organization, they have reached out to those manufacturers and let them know that they need to go patch these things. But what's really interesting in this particular hack, and I'll post the link for this so that you can see some really sweet videos that they made about how the hack works. They effectively are demonstrating that in less than a minute, because you are using an insecure perimeter security appliance and because you have poor network layer security, then in that context, what happens is your entire network ends up being owned and compromised. And they can do man in the middle attacks and start stealing and exfiltrating data and change all the configuration on your perimeter security appliance. And there you have it. And they've got some pretty fun instructions at, let's call them recommendations at the end of their article about these 11 critical security vulnerabilities. And you know, they say some of the obvious things, but it's worth recapping them here. They say, patch all vulnerable devices. Well, that's a fantastic idea. Unfortunately, when you look at a lot of industrial control devices or consumer grade network attached things, those things tend to be very poorly maintained by the manufacturer themselves with regards to available patches. A lot of these devices are not actually designed to have a very long life cycle. So that manufacturer may only publish operating system updates for a year. I have seen an endless quantity of IoT devices that I mean, are just so completely ridiculously insecure and there is no patch available for them. So you're now looking at a situation of, it's not just making an assumption that we can patch vulnerable devices. You have to first start with selecting a technology where the manufacturer is committed to providing updates. Because if they just decide there aren't any more updates for this thing, then you can't patch it, right? So that whole strategy falls on its face at that point. Their second recommendation says, shield all vulnerable devices via network access security controls to the best of your ability. Mega thumbs up from me. I have been talking about micro segmentation for like the last 20 years of my life. I have seen as a network security architect that network layer security access control rules, even at the individual endpoint level. So this, we're talking about micro segmentation now. We're talking about application control, port and protocol access controls at the endpoint level, as well as at the network layer. This is one of the most effective security strategies, and it is cheap to do 
correctly. It is actually cheap to do correctly. So you get enormous return for a minor amount of investment. The difficulty seems to be that the individuals that have the skill set and the vision to be able to execute that strategy, there just are not enough of us around. And everybody else is just, they are so uninformed on that particular topic that they see it as an unnecessary level of complexity and they just never implement it. And they, they don't even have the vision to say, I see the value in that and then therefore I want to implement it. And I, I find that to be really disappointing, especially considering the fact that the National Institutes of Standards and Technology has been publishing for the last 25 years, very excellent guidance on the these matters. So it's not as if it's, you know, something that somebody just pulled out of their hat. I mean, the entire network security access control industry has been using these strategies for, you know, more than 20 years with high levels of effectiveness. So then their final point is they say, monitor the behavior of all vulnerable devices for indications of compromise. Absolutely, right? Mega thumbs up from me on that. We've been doing this for 20 years as well. So again, it's not hard to have security and it can be very, very cost effective to have security. You're taking control over the cost profile of the solution. You're saying, I want to be proactive about this. I want to know when there's problems. I want to just protect against the problems because I've got network security rules. And then I'm just going to try and be as proactive about patching as is possible, including not selecting to buy technologies where the manufacturer does not have an adequate commitment to maintaining security patches in a timely fashion for their systems. So uh, great takeaways from that. And that's it for today's show.